Well, here we are, Daryl, for yet another week. Oh, we got a dog. The dog is not happy either about our having to watch Tokyo Drift again. This is No One Likes the Tuna Podcast. My name is Nick Nocera. And I'm Daryl Wong. And every week we watch a Fast and Furious movie and mostly complain about it, but sometimes do other things and talk about <laughs> other things. That's accurate. Most, yeah. Um, how was your watch through? Tokyo Drift. We're doing a random order this week, or this cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how was, how was uh, it? Uh, it was okay. It was an okay watch through. So yeah. with this cycle, what we're doing is we're doing top fives, mm-hmm. top five acting performances, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I found this. I found that coming up with this list was a little bit trickier than in yeah, previous movies. Yeah, yeah, there's less people, but Completely. you know, the overall um, skill level was just higher overall. Okay, I'm not. I don't know if I buy your second point, but I did notice that the the first point I'll agree with. There's like four people who have lines in this movie, basically. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to pick out five five people we thought did the best with those lines. Uh, Yeah. Before we jump into it, can I do a little quick Nick movie review? Please do. Uh, I saw a movie in theaters the other week called Let Him Go which is a modern-day semi-Western starring Kevin Costner and Diane Lane. Uh, And about a a family... The basic premise is um, their son dies in a horrible accident. Their daughter-in-law and grandchild uh, meet another man who we know is up to no good. Uh, and that her new husband, she marries him, and her new husband takes them away to live with uh, the new husband's family, uh, the Wee Boys, who we uh, hear through the grapevine are sort of this semi, you know, cr- criminal enterprise. Uh, mm-hmm. And Diane Lane and Kevin Costner go as two old grandparents go out on a mission to rescue the grandson from this world. Yeah. Um, I had trouble getting into it. It took me a little while. It took about half an hour for me to sort of buy into this world. Costner, you know, I, I read a thing somewhere on Twitter that was like a, said it was like a return to form for Costner, which is like, did he ever lose that, it? If you take that literally, as in he's like played grumpy retired cowboys before, then yeah, I guess you could say it's return to form. <laughs> I mean, he does it like it's everything you would expect from a, like a grumpy retired cowboy Kevin Costner performance, basically. Um, Diane Lane is very good. I'm I was happy. I'm happy to report she was lovely. Um, the tertiary characters I think are pretty forgettable. The woman who plays the daughter, whose name I don't remember, uh, is all right. There's a there's a small side part um, of uh, a young Native American boy or a young American Indian boy who plays sort of a guide. Type figure to figuring out the the wee boys was like mm, okay. can you do that? Um, but the real 
star of this movie is 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 Leslie Manville. Have you ever seen her in anything? Mm-mm. Mm. She is. She plays probably most mo- notably to like American audiences. She was in that movie, The Phantom Thread, which is Daniel Day Lewis's last movie with P.T. Anderson, where he plays a fashion designer, mm. uh, and she plays his sister in that movie, and is very good. Um, sort of a powerhouse actress. She plays the matriarch of the Wee Boy family and is extremely fucking good uh, mm-hmm. and scary. And, like, you know, she's this sort of, like, British actress and, like, has a classical theater background and uh, is just in this bleh, scary southern, you know, or, like, what I think they're in Wyoming. So, mm-hmm. like, this scary northwestern kind of evil bleached blonde hair matriarch it's she's so good in it yeah she blew me away yeah it sounds it sounds a lot like um like the ozarks show it is kind of ozarkian um and it's nice to sort of it does a pretty good job of doing a thing I like, which is like leaving you really unsure of what the stakes are, you know, of like how evil are these people, how dangerous are these people, how, what, what's sort of going on here mm-hmm. until a moment in the movie that it like completely turns. You're like, is the movie going to do this thing? And then it does, and you're like, Okay, All right, I'm in. let's I'm go in. for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally in. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fine watch at home. I mean, if you can support your local movie theater safely, I'll do that always, in my opinion. But it's a fine watch at home. Uh, it's definitely something good, easy to flick on. And, uh, yeah, I would say go, go, let them go, it's called. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Um. So I took your recommendation last week, and mm. I just like just watched Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, we did a special episode on Wonder Woman 1984. If you want to catch that review from me, and now Daryl's thoughts about the movie are about to unfold. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the question you posed to me um, in our preview episode was, how do you feel about Wish Rocks? Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I mean, they really There's a lot. Heavy. There's a heavy, <laughs> heavy, heavy, heavy on the yeah. Wish Rock. Yeah. And, yeah. like, uh, yeah, the movie's absolutely too long. I was mm-hmm. exhausted after watching it. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think, and I was describing it, it's the type of movie where you just have to, like, accept what's going on and try to sort of just keep going from there. Like, people yeah. just make, keep making more and more wishes. And it's, yeah. They filmed it, and it's on screen, and they're continuing to roll with it, and you are then forced to accept sort of that world that they're creating, and For it's, sure. it's very intense. Yeah. But I found it most difficult to understand the truth whip, because I don't know oh. how long the thing is, I don't know what it does, mm-hmm. I don't know how she activates it. Mm-hmm. It's a big puzzle to me, but... Yeah, and like she like at some point uses it to speak through another character, which I yeah, yeah it was like, does that work? Is that yeah? I've never seen that before. You just made that up. You just made that up, and but the problem is the movie tries to ground it initially by saying like the wish rock is like an ancient totem 
that was based on a principle of like desire, like my rope is based on the principle of truth, and they were made at the same time or something like that. Mm, like, by the gods. Some god infused yeah. this with special power. Yeah. Ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. I, it's not quite clear. I, I get that. And you and I both are big fans of like, give me the rules and follow them. Mm-hmm. I don't care what the rules are. Right? Like, I don't care if the rules are, you know, like there's a high council of priestesses <laughs> who decide things and you got to follow them. And if you don't, you go to space jail or what. And like, then there's a dog human hybrids. I don't care what the rules are. Okay. Uh-huh. What I care about is that you give me them and then you follow them. Right. Right. Uh, you cannot break the rules of the world of the story. You know, because that's where audiences start to pull back and start to question and start to say, oh, this doesn't quite make narrative sense to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I still, I was just talking about it earlier with somebody else. From minute 10 to minute 75, I had a really fun time, right? Where Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor are like, Hanging out in the 80s, doing not much, you know? Oh, yeah. Steve Trevor is just, he gets to play, like, literally don't know anything, just woke up, and I get yeah. to experience the 80s for the first time. Yeah, yeah. The way he's afraid of the uh, the down escalator. Yeah. And, he's, and he likes the fashion. It's great. He it's loves great. the fashion. There's a the moment where he is in the Washington subway, Mm-hmm. And he l- sees like a group of punk rockers walk by, and <laughs> yeah. it's this like magic moment where he's like, it's not like scared or fear or anything. He's just like amazed at like <laughs> humans, you know. <laughs> it's really kind of nice, a nice yeah. moment. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I think I've I, uh, I've I had a very good time watching this on a very big screen in the movie theater. I how like. Did your small screen, you think, impact maybe your, like, the amount of fun you had watching the movie? I mean, the fun parts were definitely fun. But yeah. the goofy parts were, like, a little bit, still noticeably goofy. Yeah. But, the, yeah, I think even on the small screen, you're able to capture kind of the, the size and the magnitude that they're yeah. trying to communicate. Especially when she is flying around or... If she uses the truth lasso on the missile, that was pretty cool. And yeah. we were still, you could still sort of like see and understand sort of how that was playing out. So that worked on the small screen. Right. Um, right, right, right. Well, I would say like listeners, if you want to um, watch it and tweet at us at an old podcast, get on it. Let us know what you thought, 1984. We're not, probably not going to talk about it again. <laughs> right, right. I thought it was good. I think it was like, yeah, for people who listen to this podcast, this is probably still worth a watch. It is above yeah. the level of entertainment of, for example, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. Oh, above, yeah. Definitely. It's above that level of entertainment. Yeah. Not a movie I've seen since I saw it opening weekend, I think. Yeah, I don't think I've I don't think I yeah, watched I'm, it. I don't, I, I don't think I gave it a second watch. No. What I did give a eighteenth watch to though was Tokyo Drift, um, and that was um, uh, 
And, uh, amazing for me. This week. <laughs> yeah, it was a tough one to get through. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty sour on the whole thing. I didn't like it. The music really bothered me this watch through, which I, mm. usually it doesn't. Usually the music on this thing is something that sort of saves the day, but I was like, I get it. Okay, it's only Tuesday. I get mm-hmm. it. I got it. It's just a lot of punch up. A lot of like exclamation points with the with the score in this movie, mm-hmm. which I'm not as yeah not as down with. But I did pick out five people to give my top five uh, awards to in terms of performances for this movie. I thought I tried to do it fairly objectively. I tried to do it without letting my sort of bad experience of watching this movie cloud my judgment. But you know. We are a product of our circumstance, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Do you want to hit us with your number five? Number five for Nick Nocera is Jason Tobin as Earl, the mechanic. Nice. Um, small part, friend of Justin Lin, um, shows up, does his job, both in the movie and as an actor, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, he's there to tune their systems, and if she doesn't want it, the way she, it's not right for the way she drives, then they're done here. Then we're done here. Then we're done here. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 you know, he's got a good vibe, basically. He's got a good vibe in the movie. He's got, uh, it's a small part, but like every time he's on screen, I'm just like, oh, this is sort of an interesting dynamic between the two of them, between him and Neela. And um, he's a good actor, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like. I he really kind of is. He's on this show Warrior, which I haven't really watched much of, but he does a pretty good job in that show. And I, yeah, I'm excited to see him in Fast Nine because he's coming back. Mm-hmm. So I mean, his character is really supposed to be like Jesse in Fast and Furious One. He's the one that tunes everybody's car so that they can have drift specific tuning. So yeah. Yeah, Very he's like a drift guy. master, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, yeah. Not, uh... So my number five is kind of goofy. Yeah. You probably, we've probably never even looked this guy up, but I chose for not my number five slot, Vincent Laresco, who plays, um, who plays the caseworker. 100% convictable. Oh, yeah, he's pretty good in this movie. <laughs> he's pretty good. Small, yeah. small, yeah, small, very, very sliver of a stage presence, but memorable. And yeah, 100% convictable. 100% conviction. They were all, you know, they're all, mommy and daddy are too hooked up. What yeah. is it? Barbie, Barbie and Ken, they're going to walk free. Mommy and daddy are too hooked up. Yeah, I I love I love screw ups like you. One hundred percent conviction rate. Conviction, and he like flirts with the mom kind of does a good yeah. job switching that on a little bit. Yeah, he's good. What's his name? His name is Vincent Loresco. Vincent Loresco is Daryl Wong's pick for number five. Number four, Daryl. What is your number? Four? I'm interested to see if we line up. I have a feeling number one we're gonna line up. Mm-hmm. Other than number one, which our listeners can absolutely guess right away, it's what you think it is. But mm-hmm. other than number one, 
I'd be interested to see if we're line up anywhere else on this list. So number four for Daryl Wong. Number four for me is going to be Natalie Kelly, who plays Neela. Mm, okay, she's think, probably my number six or seven. Yeah, I mean, I think she succeeds in her role in playing sort of like sexy, mysterious, mm-hmm. um, part, yeah, half Japanese person who is able to sort of keep our main character sort of in a sense of wonder as he's experiencing Tokyo. I have a hard time with Neela only because I have a hard time getting a handle on her accent. It seems mm-hmm. to be a little all over the place, which is a weird thing to say because I actually think it's the actress's real accent. I don't think she's doing accent work. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of partly Australian almost. Um, but it is such a... Um, I'm not like criticizing the way this woman speaks. I just... it. it, it it's just a you, you. I spend time in the beginning, being like, "Oh, what kind of what is that? What's going on there?" And it, a little bit takes me out of the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm glad she's not trying to do like an American accent. I'm glad she's not trying. Like, I'm glad she can focus her energies on the main performance. But um, yeah, she dropped a little off my list because of that. Because I just have a hard time sort of gauging where her character's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought it was Australian, but I, I like I tried to listen to that, and maybe you know this, but is um, so like I Tobin. I always like I heard what how Tobin spoke English. Is he I British? How, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I don't. I always thought they were both Australian. I always thought Jason Tobin was British. Mm-hmm. But like that doesn't make sense because Justin Lin is from California. Mm-hmm. LA. He's from California. I just, like, my only thought is, like, he's from California, and therefore, like, ju- him and Justin Tobin pal around, like, making movies in their younger years. Are they both from California? But then he speaks with a British accent in this um, movie, and I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, sorry, Jason Tobin. That was dumb of me. Um. Yeah, Hong Kong, which so like the British thing makes sense. British, yeah, 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 yeah. That would make sense. He would learn English with a British accent till about nineteen ninety seven. Um. Cool. All right. Um. Number four for me. Number four for Nick is. Shad Moss. Yeah, nice. Also known as Bow Wow. Also yeah. known as Twinkie. Yeah. Uh, I think he does a fine job in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. especially considering, I definitely factored in, like, the, okay, this kid's been in one other movie, basically, uh, in which he's almost perfection. <laughs> like Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, like, ready to drop the lil. And he's ready to, like, be an actor. And for a first, basically first outing, I think he does a good job. I, like, definitely took that into consideration. But, like, he's there. You get the vibe of his character right away. You get the hustle that his character has been through right away. He's good at the, in that scene where he gets angry at Sean for trying to solve his problems. 
uh, by giving away the MP3 player, and he's like, now everybody's going to ask me for one, you know? Like, I think he's like, he comes, shows up to the set and does his job, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good pick. I, yeah, if I'm being honest, like, it took me a while to understand first what he was saying and then what he was about, his character. Yeah. Twinkie's character. And only after, um, probably after the first 10 watches, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But until yeah. until then, I would, it was one of those things where I would understand, I would hear the words that were coming out of his mouth, but I like, a lot of times it just in. like, yeah. Yeah, you just kind of go with the flow, you know, and understand Mm -hmm. that what drives him is, like, the cash. And that's why, in the end, when he is the actual hero of this movie, who gives Sean all his money to pay back Uncle Kamada, uh, that's a real shift moment for him, where he's like, there are more important... Finally, Twink is like, there's more important things in the world than money, and that those things are, like, loyalty and, like, helping others, mm-hmm. you know? Pretty big, and he plays the arc well, I think. So, that was my That's number four. Choice. Number three for me. Numero trois. Brian T. as Takashi, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Drift King. Nice. Yeah. Good villain, great villain face, great villain uh, laugh, great villain scenes every scene he's just like evil as fuck and like is mad at the world also kind of has like this little childish spot to him where he's like still resentful at like his childhood or not being seen as good enough or trying to play gangster or something like that and um he brings that to the table really well i think um yeah, I think I just think he's he's he sells a good chunk of this movie um against an actor who uh did not make my list. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you, Daryl did not make my list at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler so I- alert for the rest of the list. Lucas Black, not on it. <laughs> so I had Brian T as my number two. For all those reasons. Right. Yeah. So he's my number two. I like that he was able to communicate kind of like the, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he's he acts with a fury and he's able to communicate yeah. that across both yeah. in his sort of in-car and out-of-car scenes. You yeah. Can, you can tell, yeah, he's he's angry on the inside and that's what allows him Extremely. to, yeah. he's to really be the angry. best at drift. Yeah. Um. Who is your number three, though? So Brian T is going to be your number two, and so mm-hmm. who is your number three? So my number three, I put Leonard Dom, who plays Morimoto. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked how he was, like, the perfect amount of unlikable. Yep. Um, and just like, an instigator to yep. Sean. And, um, yeah, I think, he, I think he did that well. He's good in that one scene where they're all that pl- they're playing that sort of dominoes game. I don't know what they're it's playing, called. They're playing mahjong. Mahjong. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're playing mahjong, and uh, uh, he he's good in that scene, like being a dick to Sean. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan. And then he's good when he's like angry at losing the race. Again, like I think the car acting is is an undervalued part of these movies where like mm-hmm. 
you have to like sit behind a wheel and be like, you, you know, to, and like you driving. Have to fake it. Yeah. yeah, he does a good job. Um, okay, so your number two is Brian T. He has Takashi. Mm-hmm. My number two is Shinichi Chiba or mm-hmm. Sunny Chiba as Uncle Kamara. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Sunny Chiba is a fucking legend. Um, Kung Fu legend. Uh, and then he had sort of a modern day renaissance a little bit when um, Tarantino put him in Kill Bill. Hmm. Um, I don't remember. I believe Kill Bill. I believe he's only in Kill Bill Volume Two. He plays the knife maker slash. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that movie? No, I haven't seen it in a while. Mm. Um, I forget the uh yeah, Hattori Hattori Hanzo Hattori Hanzo, so he makes the knives and whatever, so um, or the blades. Anyway, so Tarantino puts him in Kill Bill Volume Two in two thousand four, and so he he has a he has a little run in two thousand four of a couple like big things, including Tokyo Drift. In 2006, right off the sort of back of that. Um, and he's gone back and he's done a bunch more Japanese uh, movies. But he pops up once in a while nowadays. Um, and I just think like he has the perfect presence on screen, basically. Mm-hmm. If I could like boil the magic of screen acting down to one person, it would probably be Sonny Chiba. You know, like he just rules. He like brings mm-hmm. a gravitas... But also, like, he's funny? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's funny and scary, and he speaks in proverbs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's, like, he's good in Japanese, and he's good in English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, which is a hard-ass thing to do, I feel like. And how cool and scary does he look wearing that um, that full white yeah. tuxedo yeah. with the gangster hat? Wow. Yeah. Full yeah. white tuxedo, gangster hat. Big skinny cigar in his mouth. Mm-hmm. He's just like perfect in is, this movie. Is, is he running a, a, like a skinny mustache? Very skinny mustache. Ooh, yeah. Very skinny mustache going on. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's just like... And it, he, he harks back to like a 1940s kind of gangster. But mm-hmm. it also fits perfectly in this world of like modern day Yakuza... Or like what we dumb people would think of as like modern day Yakuza stereotype. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, it, I mean, he's just like, he's awesome. He's awesome in this movie. Every scene he has is like, I'm, I'm into it for sure. And he, and he ultimately like sets the, like the tone of the last, like whatever, five minutes of the movie, which yeah. has all the build up, the pressure, like, who's, yeah, is DK dead? Like, what's Brian going to do? Is he going to be free from the Yakuza? Yeah. And it's just, boom, it's like a, it's a very nice, clean release, and then we can have... And I appreciate that, like, the movie at a certain point is like, look, we know you're tired of, like, Lucas Black on screen, like, we're going to give you a little Sonny Chiba. We're going to give you a car race. Then we're going to give you a little another Sonny Chiba again at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're going to love it. So, uh, yeah, he's my number two. Number one for both of us, I would imagine, would be the same. Yes? No? I think so, too. Yeah. All Did in have... on. Yeah, go ahead. 
Sun Kang. Sun Kang yeah. as Han Solo. That's right. Before he was Han Solo, he was Han. He's just Han mm-hmm. in this movie. Credited. Uh, it's great. It's a perfect introduction for a character. Is a perfect uh, vibe for this movie. He's a perfect mentor for uh, Sean. Um, he likes, I, you know, it's like you definitely could have like a mentor who in this movie who would be like a disciplinarian or somebody who like uh, is like very threatening in terms of like repaying Sean's debt to him or mm-hmm. any of those other factor, you know, X Y Z motivations, but. He says, chill. He's like, this is the deal. Here's the deal. I'm laying it down. That's what you're going to do. I didn't really think about, I didn't really make the connection until now, but he probably had to study um, Vin Diesel's character from original Fast and Furious movie. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. He's supposed to play chill mentor who has some experience, has some darkness that he has to deal with, but he, yeah. He loves cars, and he's assembling a group of people around him that mean more to him than the crime and stuff. And he's able to show that priority. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I never thought about that, but... Hmm. Yeah, he's the best. I'm pumped to see him again. He's the best. There's not much more to say, you know? There's not much more to say. Anywho... Do you have anything else you want to talk about this Tokyo Drift shit? Mm, that's no. sort of it. I think yeah. that's all I had for this one. That's all I got. All right, so to recap, we should recap. My oh, yes. top five for Tokyo Drift is number five, Jason Tobin as Earl. Number four, Shad Moss uh, or Bow Wow as Twinkie. Number three, Brian T as Takashi, a.k.a. Drift King DK. Number two, Shinichi Sanichiba as Uncle Kamada. And number one, Sung Kang as Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And top five for me, Tokyo Drift. We're going number five. You probably never heard of them. Vincent Loresca, caseworker. Followed by number four, Natalie Kelly, plays Neela. Then Leonard Nam, Morimoto. Then Brian T as RDK. Numero uno, Sun Kang. Good list. I mean, I don't know. They might be terrible. Let us know what you think. <laughs> uh, you want to do a couple little, little bit, a bit of shout outs? Shout outs. Shout outs. Shout outs. Um, you go first this week because I have not yeah. thought of a shout out, period, <laughs> to be honest with you. I got to yeah. think while you're talking. So, all right. So, I'm going first. Shout out for me this week is going to be a uh, new set of gloves that I purchased. So, mm. I it's cold out, but I'm still sort of regularly going outside, both for bike riding and dog walks and stuff. And I don't know. I was looking for a glove that was kind of in between. And I ended up actually getting a hunting glove. Ooh. So, this one is, it's a it's made by a brand called Hot Shots. And the the idea was that, and it's a like a deerskin, like a yellow deerskin leather, um, like work glove on one side, and the back side is like a moss, like a real tree camo, like mesh mm. sort of thing. Um, but I really like them. It has like a suede patch right in the middle of the of the hand. But yeah. 
I got it so because I have to like walk this dog around and I thought I might also use it for bike riding a little bit. So I want to be, I want dexterity, but I also want, um, I need feel on them so I can operate bike levers, but I can also hold on to a leash and stuff. Which oh, is and sort of get that very tactile experience of like the leash training kind of like, you ever see that movie Buck? Mm-mm. Okay, it's a documentary about this horse trainer. It's kind of great. It's like this guy is just like so sweet, and he was like completely like abused and traumatized as a child, and now spends his life like caring for horses and shit. Um, and he has this thing about like don't just like about like not just like yanking the leash. I don't know what you call it for horse the reins, the Harnesses. reins, yeah, yeah, the yeah, harness. The the reins, not just like yanking because like he puts someone, he has someone else hold the other side of the reins and he like yanks them and they like flinch and, and tense up. Mm-hmm. But then like when you like pull the reins slowly and just take them to tension slowly, like the other person is relaxed and whatever. And it's like the same with horses. I mean, it's very similar for a dog type situation, mm-hmm. you know? It's that, but I also like if your glove is too big and bulky, like you mm. sort of can't feel that you're like where you are on the leash. Right. And if even if, like I'm looking around, I'm looking at the dog, but like I really have to rely on like feel to mm. figure out where this dog is, where she's moving, because of constantly I notice like passing the thing back and forth, and I'm fooling around in my pocket. So it's very helpful to. You gotta. Um, rem- you gotta. I mean, you maybe you mentioned this. Um, but I was thinking about my own chat, <laughs> trying to think of something. Um, do you, do they have phone capabilities, these gloves? So they do not. Okay. I don't usually use my phone when I'm walking around yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I'm also a case-free guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I a do. case-free guy, so the phone stays in the pocket. The case-free life, I can't even, I still, mm-hmm. every time you mention it, it blows me away. And yeah. you're, st- you, what do you got, a seven? Seven, I'm going to. Yeah, but I get this. You get that new get little one, huh? Yeah, I'm gonna get that new little one. Yeah, that one Pretty looks soon. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. Um, all right, good. I did think of a shout out. Shout out. Wait, what is the brand of these gloves? Just so that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. They're called Hot Shots. Hot Shots. Hot Shots. It's a hunting glove, but cool. deer skin leather one side. The other side is sort of open. Yeah, a little bit more open and breathable because sometimes when you get those work gloves, you just get a. It's like a baseball man. It's just got a sweaty hand. So yeah. the half and half is very nice. That's what they call um, people who fight fires in California. Hot hands? Hot, hot shots? Hot shots. Mm-hmm. 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 This one is for, I think, for so you can operate a gun and stuff in the cold, oh. like a Ooh. hunting rifle or a bow or something. Do you have any I guns? Like, I got no guns. I got mm. no bows. Mm. Maybe get one. Maybe get one so you can Maybe test get the gloves one. out. Sure, that would go over well. Um, all right, so my, sh- I actually, I have an anti shout out. Mm-hmm. I got an anti shout out. Okay, it's kind of do a couple things, but mainly do one specific thing. I want to give it an anti shout out. Um, my mother every Christmas gets me a chocolate orange. It's a thing, right? Like I, it's a, I know it's a thing in a lot of families. It's a thing in our family. Um, it's just the thing you give on Christmas. You get this big chocolate orange, you smack it on the table, and you eat the chocolate orange all day. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful tradition. She, 
forgets every year that I'm not into dark chocolate. Mm. So she gets me a dark chocolate orange every year, even though like I'm I'm like, yeah, this is lovely and I'll eat it. But like the milk chocolate's sort of my thing, kind of more. Uh, but no. I mean, it's like a reliable thing this year. So kind of anti-shout out to my mom for a while. Like, <laughs> Get it together, lady. You know? But really, it's like I went around. I feel like I found three dark chocolate oranges here in this country, in, in New Zealand. Um, three on a shelf. I started looking on the 20th, which may have been too late. You know? There were three on a shelf at the warehouse down in Newmarket. And that's it. That's the only chocolate oranges I found. And, they, and this is not like they don't have them here. Years previous, they stock, the shelves were full of chocolate oranges. Dark chocolate, milk chocolate, whatever you wanted. Okay? I feel like some something happened this year. Mm-hmm. There was just like this complete lack of chocolate oranges. You know, and I was going to get some, you know, give them to people and stuff like that. Nothing. Hmm. No chocolate oranges. Are they imported? Is there a oh for sure? A, yeah. Where do they come from? They like China, Italian? Swiss. I don't fucking China? know. We get most of our shit from China. Okay. Okay. You know, um, just because or Australia. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I. I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Where they're from? Maybe if they're still there at the warehouse Newmarket, I can go. Uh, Check it out. Check mm-hmm. the label. Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't had one of those that you pound on the table for a while. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Jess's mom, I think, made some, like, candied oranges that she dipped in chocolate, which oh, was very nice. Oh, now that sounds like a treat. That was really nice. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a treat. Not a treat I that I would like, but a treat. But a mm-hmm. treat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like too much fruit in my fucking chocolate, basically. Mm-hmm. Chocolate, strawberry, I'm like, blech. How, how about just the chocolate? <laughs> Give me just the chocolate part, dogs. You know? Chocolate orange is actually a stretch for me. I'm like, it just has a hint of orange flavor. So mm-hmm. like, I can roll with that. But I'd rather just have chocolate. I like the form factor of the chocolate orange. Of like, mm-hmm. first of all, it's really fun to smack on the table. And second of all, it's like a nice sized pieces of chocolate. They're not too small and they're not too big. And you can sort of like pick at it all Christmas day mm-hmm. while you like eat this giant hunk of chocolate rather than like having to bite into a bunny's ear on Easter or something like that, you know? Um, what's your, do you have a favorite sort of chocolate that is not necessarily holiday themed? Mm. Nah, if I'm nah, I'm a weird one. Yeah. I'm a weird one because uh, I go for candy more than I go for chocolate. Mm-hmm. I like a peep. <laughs> I like a you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like a marshmallow. Peep. Yeah, yeah. marshmallow birds. I like uh-huh. them. I think I'm the only one, but I like them. Yeah, I like yeah. to leave them out for a couple of days. <laughs> They stiffen up a little bit. Yeah, they get stale. Yeah, yeah <laughs> bro. Microwave it. Leave them out for a couple of days. They get stale, and then they're nice and chewy and tough. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Nice. It's almost like it, it ends up being like a taffy, like a light taffy mm-hmm. yeah. consistency. Yep. Right. right. Yep. 
I like a peep. I like um. I like a little gummy worm. I like ice cream. You know, I'm an yeah. ice cream kind of guy. <laughs> so. So Nick's favorite chocolate is ice cream. Yeah, my favorite chocolate is ice cream. <laughs> but not chocolate ice cream, because I'm not as into chocolate ice cream. Just like strawberry. Nice, nice. Yeah. My yeah, favorite chocolate I, is strawberry ice cream. I just like chocolate bar. Classic, Hershey? I, like the king size. You got a brand? Um, If I'm at a store, I'll get like a, I'll get like a king size Hershey bar. Mm. I, want the big, I want the big one, and I don't like the normal size like thickness. I don't like it when it's too thin, but the king size one is a probably nice like chunky. a half inch yeah. thick. Yeah. So I'm into that. I want, when I'm eating chocolate, I want it to be in large wedges. They have Hershey here, but it's not the big brand. The big mm-hmm. brand is Cadbury. Mm. And that chocolate's pretty fucking good, man. Mm-hmm. If I do say so myself, you know? I will say, and I don't eat these very often, but the Toblerone triangle chocolate. Yeah. That was my favorite for a very long time. I'm not into it. Too much no? what is it, hazelnut or some shit in there. Hazelnut. And it has, yeah, it has those little sticky things. I don't need hazelnut in my life, period. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't like Nutella. I don't like the nut. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't need any of that. I don't need any of it. There's never an instance where I need a hazelnut. Right. Um. I don't want it in my coffee either, for sure. Definitely Gross. not. Disgusting. Mm-mm. Uh. Yeah. I mean, Cadbury chocolate's good. I I will fuck with a Cadbury cream egg. The big ones with like the goopy yellow and white crap on the inside. I don't think Come I've around had one of Easter these. time. I'm into that. Yeah. yeah, I go to church twice a year, and I eat Cadbury cream eggs. And that's what I do. Anyway, this has been No One Likes the Tuna Podcast. If you want to tweet at us at Nolt Podcast N O L T T Podcast on Twitter. Uh, no one likes the tuna podcast on Instagram. No one likes the tuna podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, patreon.com slash no one likes the tuna podcast. We got to do some fucking content. Mm-hmm. We're, lack- we're slacking on the Patreon. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't care. Uh... This is the worst hobby we could have chosen as humans. <laughs> it's time consuming. It's fucking time consuming. <laughs> I gotta sit my ass down, watch a three hour fucking movie, and then record uh-huh. a fucking hour long podcast every week. Uh-huh. It's like you get what you get. You get what you get. That's the you get what you get. That's uh-huh. it. That's it. So yeah, let us know. Are you, what, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother, you have a good week. Thank you. You as well.